Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people, loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. The matter at hand, the preached word of the Lord our God. The scriptures we're going to be looking at today are up here on the screen. Um, Really primarily, we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel chapter 6. So if you want to turn there, um, primarily that's where we're going to be reading out of. Um, but these other ones serve as context for us. Um, the chapter before and then First Chronicles 14 and 15. One of the cool things about the Old Testament that I really love, but can also be really frustrating and confusing if you're trying to read it from cover to cover, um, is that there's all these parallel stories throughout the different books but they're not always in chronological order. In fact, a lot of them aren't in chronological order. You've got to kind of do the work to figure out what's going on in this story. Is that the same as what's happening in this story, in this book? Um, and so these, these are parallel stories that we have on the screen here. So the First Chronicles and Second Samuel both tell the same story, but with different illumination, with different aspects, with different things that maybe the other author didn't really capture or, or create this story for. Um, so we're going to be looking at that today. Um, but when I think about um, the season of time that we're in, let me grab my, my other device here, get myself all set up. Um, obviously, we're, we're headed towards Easter. Um, Easter is only a few weeks away, and the series that we're heading into is really to help prepare our hearts for Easter. Um, this series that we're starting today is called Exposed. And, and it's this idea that um, God sees the true us. And that not only does God see the true us, but that at some point or another, the true us is brought to light, even as we try to hide or conceal or keep secret. That God exposes the things of our heart. And it's not just us and God that know them. At some point, it's everybody knows it too. So what do we do with that? How do we handle that? So, so Easter, we're preparing for it. We're thinking about it. We're processing it. And on the church calendar, we have a, a season called Lent. The global church calendar participates in this, this Lent season, which is for this kind of very reason. It's this idea that we, we expose ourselves to God in preparation for the things we just sang about this morning, quite frankly. Uh, for Jesus' work on the cross, for his death and his resurrection. And so we prepare ourselves over the season of time, but, but culturally, it's really interesting to me. Culturally, we don't always really look at Easter as a season, right? If you want to compare it to like Christmas, obviously December 25th is, is the big day for Christmas, right? But we kind of culturally look at Christmas as like a season. There's a time for it. Um, the 12 days of Christmas and then kind of expanded out there. Um, you know, a lot of people, myself included, uh, start playing Christmas u- music before Thanksgiving's even done. Um, and I know that that's horrible for some of you folk, um, but that's just how I am. I, I get so excited for Christmas. And culturally, we, we do that too. Christmas is a big 
thing for many, many days, even though there is kind of a significant moment there. Easter, on the other hand, although there is Easter candy out at the store, and we're talking about things like our, our Wapak Easter scavenger hunt, there are some events that are happening. We don't really look at Easter like a season the same way we do like Christmas. We really look at Easter as like a singular day, one event, that one Sunday. Uh, we don't always take into account in our cultural mindset Good Friday, which is a weird name, but Good Friday is, of course, the day that Jesus actually died on the cross. It's the day that's called good because God poured his love out for humanity by Jesus taking the place for us. But what's even better was not that just God died, but that he rose again three days later, conquering death. So we celebrate Easter. And so uh, as we're in this season, as we're preparing and we're moving towards Easter, uh, we do want to treat it somewhat like a season where we have this time to, to reflect on what that cross means. What does the cross mean for us as, as a body? And what does the cross mean for you and for me as, as individuals? So the next four weeks, we're going to talk about several different emotions or feelings, things that people experience and how God exposes those things, and then what we are to do and what God does as a result of that exposing. God's love and his righteousness expose us for God's glory and for our sanctification in order that we be made holy. That's why God exposes things. It's not to drag your name through the mud. It's so that he can make us holy. He can purify us. He can make us right. And we don't have to live with the, the same things. Exposing only brings things to light because exposing isn't the end goal. That's just the start. Check out what Luke says in his gospel. Luke chapter 12, verse 2. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. There is nothing concealed that won't be disclosed. All the stuff we hide, at some point it will come to light. All of the things that, that I try to keep secret, that I try to keep hushed, that I try to keep in a little, in a little bottle because I'm not proud of it or whatever reason we have, quite frankly. It doesn't matter our reasons. The Word tells us that all these things will one day be brought to light. So what do we do? How do we deal with that? How do we handle that? And in a culture that's so ready to throw you out the door for the things you did last week that were wrong— how do you deal with that? How does God deal with that? How do we process through that? Today we're going to talk about pride and the reverse of pride, which is humility. See, pride takes us apart from God's plan. It removes us from it. God won't work in there if our ego is blocking him. If we're too busy saying, look what I've done, God's like, that's not for me because I'm not about making Matthew look good. That's not the goal. The goal is to bring glory to God. So at the reverse of that, if pride takes us apart from God's plan, humility makes us a part of God's plan. It allows us to participate in what God is doing rather than removing ourselves by inflating our own egos and our own minds and our own ideas. 
Well, if you haven't already, I invite you to turn to, to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And we're going to start reading here out of 6 and uh, verses 1 through 11. And then we'll kind of go back and, and get some backdrop here out of chapter 5. Here's what it says, starting in verse 1 of chapter 6. David again assembled all the fit young men in Israel, 30,000. He and all of his troops set out to bring the ark of God from Baal, Judah. The ark bears the name, the name of the Lord of armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They set the ark of God on a new cart and transported it from Abinadab's house, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, not Ohio, uh, sons of Abinadab were guiding the cart and brought it with the ark of God from Abinadab's house on the hill. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and the whole house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all kinds of fir wood instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence, and he died there next to the ark of God. David, David was angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, so he named that place Outburst Against Uzzah, as it is today. David feared the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? So he was not willing to bring the ark of the Lord to the city of David. Instead, he diverted it to the house of Obed-Odom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained in this house three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Odom and his whole family. Now, I know that's a, there's a lot going on in that story already, right? A lot has happened, and a lot of stuff we're going, what? what? Why did God do that? Why did David, what, how did that happen? A lot of questions. So we need to set a little bit of a backdrop up. Why are we even here in the first place? Well, if you flip back to chapter 5 in your Bible, and if your Bible has those, those nice little bold headers, it will kind of help break down some of what's going on here in chapter 5. David has become king. And he's going about doing what all new administrations do, making right what had been wrong before. That's the goal of every leader, is to always fix the things the last guy did wrong. Uh, and so David's going out to set things right. We're going to make Israel the way it was supposed to be, we're going to restore ourselves to our rightful place and our rightful glory. And, uh, and first up on the list, they've got to get the freeloaders out of Jerusalem that are living there. The Jebusites have taken over Jerusalem. And David and his armies push the Jebusites out. Check. One thing done. We've got our land back. Cool. Now we're ready to roll. Next, those old Philistines heard about David becoming the king of Israel. Now, David's had an encounter with them before, right? David fought the giant, Goliath, who was the Philistine. And he stopped their army from progressing at that point. So David is pretty much public enemy number one for the Philistines. And when they hear that he's king, oh boy, we're going all out against Israel. So there's a war that takes place. But eventually, because of David's faithfulness in listening to the Lord, they beat back the Philistines again. And so David is kind of riding on this moment, man. Look at me. Look at what I've accomplished already. I got our land back. We already beat those big bad Philistines. Stopped them from invading us. I'm doing pretty good at this king thing. So what else do I need to do to establish myself and my position and my authority? And what else do I need to do that's, that's right and good? 
and holy. So the next thing David does is he sets out to bring the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you're not familiar with the Ark of the Covenant, it's a pretty significant piece for the Israelite people. And there's a picture representation of it up there. Um, it's not the real Ark. We, we don't have a picture of the real Ark of the Covenant. But it's a replicate of what the Ark of the Covenant was to look like based on what Scripture described it as. And so the Ark of the Covenant was, for the people of Israel, believed to be this uh, resting place for the presence of God. Now, they believed that God was everywhere, that he was in all of creation, but that there was kind of a more uh, tangible and powerful presence that rested with the Ark. That there was something significant about that Ark. And, and all the more so, not just the Ark in general, but especially right in the middle there. Right between those two wings, those cherubim's wings in that picture. God's presence was the most powerful right there. And so there was all these protocols, all of these rules for handling the ark. People who could touch any part of it or no part of it, all of this kind of stuff. And so when David set out to bring the ark, I think he was probably thinking quite a bit about himself, Right? And so now he's going to do something that's good and that's right. The ark needs to come back to Jerusalem, so I'm going to bring it back to Jerusalem. But David doesn't pay attention to the direction that he's supposed to. And as a result, Uzzah, who should not have been carrying the ark, stumbled, or the oxen stumbled, and then Uzzah went to grab the ark and touched it right in the middle there where God's presence was believed to be the most powerful. And as a result, Uzzah was struck dead, according to the scriptures. Obviously, David freaks out at this point, right? What just happened? How could this happen? How could all these moments where we, we stopped the Jebusites from living in our land, we beat the Philistines, and now I'm trying to do something that's right and bring the ark to show how strong and mighty of a king I am back to Israel, back to Jerusalem, and now somebody's dead. And so he diverts it. We're going to send it to this other guy's house because I can't come to the palace because I, I can't get killed by this thing. I'm the king of Israel. And as a result, it stays there for several months. An interesting detail is mentioned in the parallel text, that First Chronicles 1. First Chronicles chapter 14. This also tells the story of David's defeat of the Philistines, but notice the last verse. It's here on your screen. Right after David beats the Philistines, it says this, So David's fame spread throughout every land, and the Lord made all nations fear him. David felt good about himself. And this doesn't say we shouldn't feel good about ourselves. But if you had experienced the same things David experienced, be honest with yourself. Might your head get a little bit inflated? Might you be a little ego-driven at this point? I mean, look at what David's done. He went from a, a sheep herder to defeating the Goliath giant. Then he was anointed king, even though he was the least in his family. He beat out all of his brothers and all these other men who were way more qualified than he was. And now he's taking control of Jerusalem again. He's asserting his authority. And here we are with David trying to establish the Ark of the Covenant we know how easy this is because we've seen it happen, right? I, I mean, think about a, a new celebrity who rises to fame all of a sudden. What's, what's the common things we either talk about is either 
they're totally ego-driven and they've forgotten who they were, or we comment about, man, look how humble they still are, even though they've got all this fame. Because we know how much of a conflict that is between pride and humility. When you reach great fame, it's very easy to think much of yourself. When your name is less, it's much harder to think more of yourself. So David was caught up in this moment, this very real human moment of pride. And not only that, God exposed David's pride by displaying God's strength when this should have been a moment of David's strength. Big fanfare, big parade, the Ark of the Covenant's coming into Jerusalem. And God says, you're not going to use my name and my power to make yourself greater, make yourself more powerful. I won't be manipulated. I won't be used. And God shows up on display. David's exposed. Seems to me that David was seeking rightness by bringing the ark back. It wasn't that that act was wrong. He wanted to bring the ark where it belonged. That, that was right. But that his emotions got tied up in it. Perhaps his pride led him to try to manipulate the presence of God. It seems that God exposes David's pride by displaying God's own power, his own strength, and restoring the balance of who is in charge over Israel. You've heard the phrase, pride comes before the fall, right? Because God will not allow pride to stand in front of him. Well, let's continue reading in 2 Samuel 6, verse 6 here in a second. And I, I wrote up on the screen there, attempt one and attempt two. There's actually two times here where David tries to bring the ark. So we've, we've just read the one, right? Um, and we're going to read about the second one here in a minute as well. Um, and, and in the parallel verses here out of Samuel chapter 6, verse 6 here. When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to the ark of the God took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. Then the Lord, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence, and he died there next to the ark of God. That's attempt one. That's what happened. End result being promises are fulfilled. A man is dead. God's blessing has been diverted from the central place of Israel to this man's house, Obed-Odom. We'll now take a look at 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 13. says this, For the Lord our God bursts out in anger against us because you Levites were not with us the first time, for we didn't inquire of, of him about the proper procedures. So David is, has learned his lesson here. That's what's going on here in First Chronicles. David is saying, I, I went back and I looked at the text again and I realized that the people who were supposed to be carrying the Ark of the Covenant were the Levites, were the priests. They were the ones who were responsible based on God's decree for carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And I ignored that in my emotion and my ego and my drive to make things right. And as a result, David's thinking, as a result, a man is dead because of me. Because I didn't lead correctly. Because I didn't take time to do the work I needed to do to ensure that we were doing this the right way. And so he says, we need to, we need to bring the Levites in on this. They're the ones who need to do this because it's the right way to do it. 
just because you're doing the right thing, if it's in pridefulness or your own strength, more than likely, it is a part from God's blessing. Just because you're doing the right thing doesn't mean it's part of God's blessing. If your ego is driving you and your pride is driving you, more than likely, you're a part from God's blessing rather than a part of God's blessing. Remember, pride takes us apart from God's plan, but humility makes us a part of God's plan. And this is the turn that's happening in David's life. Check out 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12, and I know we're flipping back and forth here in these parallel chapters, and it's kind of confusing, but we're getting to a point here where, where it's going to kind of come together. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Odom and everything he has, has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Odom to the city of David with rejoicing. God's blessing didn't stop because David did something wrong either. I think we need to hear that. That God's goodness doesn't end where we fail. God's goodness continues. And God's goodness is still there for you, even if you failed. When you redirect and you get aligned again. Because God doesn't stop blessing just because we've moved away from his blessings. God is a God of blessing. That's what he does. And we can be a part of it or we can be a part from it. David's pride was exposed. He had to make a choice. What was he going to do now that he had been exposed? First, David recognized that God was still God and he was still good. His blessings didn't stop. Second, David learned from his mistake and humbled himself, acknowledging God's order. Here again, the Levites, 1 Chronicles 15, 2. Then David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. This is the rightful order. And so when David diverted from that rightful order, or chose to do things his own way, knowingly or unknowingly, he spat in the face of God. God already said, this is the way we're going to do it. And David decided we're going to do it another way. David had to come to terms with what he's going to do. And as God exposed David's change of heart and his humility, God exposed the heart of another and their pride in this story as well. So David has, has now come to the conclusion, we need the Levites, we need to do this the right way. God has orchestrated it, he's ordained it. I've had these moments with God of turmoil, of upsetness, of, of repentance and forgiveness. And so we come to the rest of the story out of First Sam, or Second Samuel, excuse me, Second Samuel chapter 6. Verse 15, now they've, they've got the Levites and they're doing the second time around. We're going to bring this ark in this time. Verse 15, he and the whole house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of the ram's horn. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Saul's daughter, Michal, looked down from the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place Inside the tent, David had pitched for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings in the Lord's presence. 
When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of armies. Then he distributed a loaf of bread, a date cake, and a raisin cake to each one of the entire Israelite community, both men and women. Then all the people went home. When David returned home to bless his household, Saul's daughter, Michal, came out to meet him. How the king of Israel honored himself today, she said. He exposed himself today in the sight of the slave girls and of his subjects like a vulgar person would expose himself. Notice the sarcasm there. David replied to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me over your father and his whole family to appoint me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will dance before the Lord and I will dishonor myself and humble myself even more. However, by the slave girls you spoke about, I will be honored. And Saul's daughter, Michal, had no child to the day of her death. Did you notice what it said there about Michal? It said she despised him in her heart. Let's read verse 20 again. And I'm going to read it with that sarcastic tone that I hear. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel was distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls, of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. Michal was not impressed. She didn't care that the ark of God was back where it belonged. She despised David in her heart. Despised him. Now there's probably a little bit of tension and turmoil there anyway, right? I mean, we know this relationship probably wasn't the easiest. David becoming king in place of Saul and all of this going on, but nonetheless, pretty strong language. But I don't think that Mikael was disgusted by David in himself. I don't think it was David's personhood, really, that disgusted her. She makes note here of the vulgarness. But I think that's more of like, you know how when you're getting in an argument with somebody and they'll say something just to get at you that they don't, they're not really, they're not really worried about that, but they're going to say it because it's going to get you. Right? I mean, we've all had those conversations. I think that's what she's doing here. It wasn't the fact that David was dancing, whatever. To her, it was a matter of pride. Her pride. And she was disgusted by David's humility. That's what disgusted her. How humble he was. You're the king of Israel. You take what's yours. You declare it. You own it. You're the most powerful man in all of this land. Look at what you've done. Not only that, look at what my father did before you. You have a right. What she was disgusted by was how humble he was. Caring not for himself in that moment. Caring only for the Lord. For the blessing of the Lord. For the goodness of the Lord. To be where it ought to be. To be restored. It wasn't David that she was disgusted with. It was his humility. So our humility, too, at times will disgust those in the world around us. They'll think you ought not to be humble in that situation. You deserve 
you're owed, so on and so forth. But our humility speaks volumes. Look at what David said in response. Catch it. Verse 21. It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people in Israel. Get this. I will celebrate before the Lord. And it goes on to say, the next verse, I'll be as undignified as I need to be. I'm not worried about myself. I'm not worried about the lineage of the kingship of Israel. Because if God wants the kingship of Israel to be sustained, he's going to sustain it. And it's not me holding on to power that's going to sustain it. It's the Lord who's going to sustain it. Genesis chapter 3 illuminates something very important here about pride and humility and this moment when God exposes things to us. What are we to do? Adam and Eve have been made and they've sinned. They did something they weren't supposed to do. First one. First time it's happened. And as a result, the ramifications of sin trickle throughout the rest of human life as we know it. Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 says this, then, they, then the eyes of both of them were open, Adam and Eve, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Adam and Eve's response to the exposure by God was to cover, to conceal, to hide. It wasn't as if God hadn't seen it all before. It wasn't as if it was a big secret that was revealed to God. God made them, right? And it wasn't just the physical exposure they were talking about either. There's a, an emotional, spiritual exposure here. None of that was new to God. He wasn't caught off guard or surprised by any of it. But their response was, oh no, shame, guilt, cover up. Don't acknowledge it. Hide it. Keep it in. Act like it's a small thing, like it's not significant. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about this over here. And I think this, this tells us something. When we're met with these moments of exposure with God, we have two choices. We can do like Adam and Eve did, and we can choose to cover it up. We can choose to hide it. Act like it's not a big deal. Ignore it. Pretend like it's not real. Or we can do like David does in the story. We can learn from it. We can choose to do better the next time by humbling ourselves. Acknowledging that we've messed up. That we missed the mark. That we fell short. That we weren't as good all the time as we wish we had been. Or maybe even as others think we are. So what do you do? This morning, if God's exposed something in your life, as you've been talking with the Holy Spirit this morning, maybe it is pride. Maybe you're thinking of a situation or a conversation you had with somebody or the way you dealt with the, your boss or a coworker. The response you had maybe even to your children who called you out when you were wrong. You knew you were wrong. Your kid called you out on it. 
But the right thing to do, right? I'm a parent. I get it. I know. Right thing to do is don't let them know you were wrong. Just plow through, right? Keep going. Because once you let them have a little bit of ground, now, now you, you don't have a foot to st- We make all this stuff, right? What do you communicate to your children, parents? What do you communicate to your children when you say, you're right, I messed up. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You might be six. You might be seven years old. But I was wrong. And let me tell you something that I've learned about God as a result of that. Just because I was wrong doesn't mean I'm not loved. Just because I was wrong doesn't mean God's blessing has stopped. But I know that I need to make men's here. I know that I need to make this right so that God's blessing isn't still only happening over here, but that his blessing can fall on me again. Because I need his blessing. I want his blessing. Desire it. So what is it for you today? You can either choose to cover your pride that's been exposed or you can choose to acknowledge it. Make a conscious decision to choose differently. And you have an opportunity right now as we go to the Lord in prayer to acknowledge it to God if that's who you are. Will you go to him in prayer with me this morning? Heavenly Father, your goodness knows no end. It abounds. It's relentless. It's ever-flowing. But God, we know that there are moments in our lives when things get in the way of us really being connected to you. Things block us from really feeling your presence in our lives. Father, this morning, I want to pray specifically for anyone in this room who's struggling with a prideful heart. And this doesn't mean that we can't acknowledge the things that we've done well, right? We celebrate things. We celebrate the 30-hour family. We celebrate lives that have been dedicated to something. But that the pride doesn't become something that controls our lives. The pride doesn't become something that is bigger than me. So for those struggling with pride this morning, God, I ask that your spirit does come on them. That your kindness draws us to repentance. And that you walk with us through the reconciliation process, whatever that might look like. Maybe it's an ask for forgiveness. Father, will you be with us in those moments? And may you draw all of us to a heart of humility that thinks first of others, but mostly of you, rather than ourselves. Father, will you guide us? Will you keep us? Will you protect us? And may your blessings fall on us as we align ourselves with you. We ask this in Jesus' holy and powerful and matchless name. Amen. Amen. So anytime you need parenting advice, (laughs) come to Matthew. I expect his phone to be ringing off the hook this week. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. uh, Pride was an issue in my life. 
And obviously, if it was an issue, it continues to be an issue, right? So a couple years ago, the Lord illuminated something that I I was praying. It was like, Lord, keep me humble. That's a prideful prayer, isn't it? Keep me humble. That's assuming that I'm I'm already humble, humble, right? That was a prideful prayer. But the dangerous prayer was, Lord, make me humble. Identify those areas in my life that I'm prideful of. And so I, I just challenge you with the words that Matthew brought today. We pray frequently as staff, as youth pastor and associate pastor and senior pastor that we, we as a church, we as the people of Wapak Naz are a humble people. Humility is attractive. It is very attractive. So would you please, please stand today. May you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and with all your soul. Please, please, and love your neighbor as yourself. We love you. We hope to see you soon and be with you again. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.